Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's time for Come and Talk It with your host, Michael Cargill, brought to you by Texas Law Shield. Over the last decade, Michael has championed and supported the rights of law-abiding Texans to own and use firearms. He is the owner of Central Texas Gunworks, a veteran of the United States Army, and has achieved national exposure in such prestigious media outlets such as Forbes Magazine, Fox Business News, CNN Money, AOL, BBC World News, Huffington Post, and the New York Times. Cargill vigorously defends lawful gun ownership in this country without regard to party politics. And now, here's Michael Cargill. Good day, Austin, Texas, the live music capital of the world. Let's praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. All right, so today we're going to talk about, you know, Zach, the yeah. the ATF actually put the brace ban in the registry. So that means that, you know, as of January 31st, if you did not put your, your brace uh, you didn't attach it to a trust on January 30th or before that date, then that means that you now have to do it as an individual because now it's, it, you know, it's prior, it's after January 31st because that's when they put it in the registry. So you have to do it as an individual. And if you're in a state that bans SBRs, short barrel rifles. Like New York. Like New York. Then that means that now that is a prohibited weapon, it's banned, and you have to destroy it or turn it in. Because in New York and some other states, like California, uh, you cannot have SBR, short barrel rifles. So there's no way around that. you got to follow state and federal law. So states that don't allow SBRs, Alabama, Alaska, Arizona, California, Colorado, D.C., Florida, Georgia, Hawaii, Illinois, Iowa, Michigan, Minnesota, Mississippi, Missouri, Nebraska, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, North Dakota, Rhode Island, and Wisconsin. Mm, no, that's not the right. Wow. List. That's not the correct list. You sure? Yeah, I'm positive. That's not right. Yeah, that's incorrect. All right, so, man, in, insane. And also, we're going to talk about the Fifth Circuit. The Fifth Circuit has actually had another historic ruling there, Zach. They talked a little bit about domestic violence. And so we're going to talk about that. We're domestic gonna... violence and gun rights, right? Yeah, yeah. So domestic violence and gun rights. And they quoted the Bruin decision um, in this. And so, man, this is a game changer. 
because I'm, I, I got to ask Edwin, you know, so if you were convicted of domestic violence, you know, or had a, you know, or maybe you had a restraining order or something like that for domestic violence, uh, then you get your, if you get your gun rights back in that situation, what if it's a felony? Do you get your gun rights back? You know, was it was it always meant that, you know, when you're commit when you're convicted of a crime, you lose your gun rights forever? Should it be always forever? So, hmm. We'll see. Um Okay, so updated list. Uh, scratch what I said last. It's yeah. <laughs> uh, Hawaii, D.C., New York, New Jersey, Rhode Island. There you go. That's much better. Yeah, so we're also going to talk about the House debates carrying firearms in a committee hearing. Going to talk about that. Listen to that video of a heated debate. We're going to go to Connecticut, talk about the store owner that actually shot some robbers, and then they ended up shooting him and injuring him, uh, but he got the best of them. Going to go to Oklahoma, federal judge. Guess what? Another case. Federal judge says, hey, marijuana prohibition and firearms is unconstitutional. We're going to talk about that. California, man punches a female basketball players and pulls a gun on them. Uh, gonna go to, we're going to go to D.C. and talk about Brett Kavanaugh. Uh, Justice Brett Kavanaugh may have sabotaged Justice Clarence Thomas' extreme gun ruling, according to some people they call it extreme. And then go back to Oklahoma. Gun store dumps guns in the dumpster. A gun store in Oklahoma decided to dispose of some firearms and put them in the dumpster. Why would you do that? I'm just, if you're going to do that, please give me a call so I can just, I'll make that trip up there and I'll relieve you of those firearms <laughs> in the dumpster. <sighs> you know they're in trouble. Are you stupid or something? Yeah. And veterans sue administration over the brace ban. A lot of lawsuits, are, you know, people are prepping lawsuits. They're filing lawsuits against this brace ban. Going to see how that plays out. And then Black History Month and the Miami Police Department. What do they have in common? Wait until you see the pictures and hear this story. All right, but before we talk about that, man, I gotta, we got to bring Edwin Walker with Texas U.S. Law Shill into the conversation and talk to us about, you know, what in the world, what, you know, what is this Fifth, this fifth Circuit ruling when it comes to domestic violence? And firearms. Edwin, welcome to come and talk it, sir. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. pleasure. Absolutely. So, yeah, this was a decision from a case called U.S. v. Ramey. And uh, this this case is actually extremely significant in that it it, 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 it overrules a decision that the, uh, that the Fifth Circuit made 23 years ago in a case called Emerson. And if you really want to read a tragic tale, uh, just read the story of Dr. Timothy Emerson. He he was – you talk about a man who was unjustly – had his life ruined, um, all basically because of a divorce. Mm. And so and, – and this is what the court specifically addressed. So, so the court did not address felony convictions, uh, people who are convicted of felonies who lose their firearms. The court did not address misdemeanor domestic violence convictions. People who lose their rights because of a conviction of a crime of misdemeanor domestic violence. What the court specifically ruled on was whether or not somebody lost their gun rights if they are the subject of an order, and it doesn't even have to be a protective order. In this case, it was, but an order, it could be a, a temporary restraining order or a permanent restraining order or a, a, a protective order that was issued that forbid the person from engaging in harassment or threatening behavior 
against a you know spouse, former spouse, member or other member of their family. Okay, so under the federal law, as it was revised about 30 years ago, um, which is oftentimes called the Brady Bill. So if you hear somebody that says, "Oh, you're disqualified under Brady," that's exactly what they're talking about. That says that if somebody is a is a person subjected to one of these orders, they lose their gun rights. <clears throat> And they lose their gun rights for however long the order lasts. So if you are under a permanent protective order, which they have those here in Texas, believe it or not, Mm. you can do something stupid. You can be put under a civil disqualifying order for the rest of your life. You know, imagine that. Imagine being 25 years old and a family judge decides, well, I think you ought to be banned permanently uh, under this protective order, not convicted of a crime. So you didn't you weren't subjected to a criminal penalty, you weren't held to a standard of beyond a reasonable doubt, uh, you didn't have all the protections of the fourth, uh, the fourth and fifth amendments, um, uh, but yet you were banned from having guns for the rest of your life. So that's that's the part of the law that the court examined. And um, uh, like I said, Emerson, uh, the poor guy Emerson, he really didn't do anything. He was. Subjected to a uh, a generalized family restraining order, which has been a standard part of the Texas Family Code for about 30 years, uh, and you don't even have to have done anything. You don't even have to have been accused of anything. You just have to be subject to this order, which, like I said, is put in place in many family cases. Well, his wife decided to make an accusation against him that he had guns. Uh, the law at this time was only a couple of years old. The uh, Somehow the ATF got involved. I don't know what kind of connections his wife had with the ATF, but it's really super sketchy. Um, in fact, I'd love to talk to Mr. Emerson. If Mr. Emerson gets this message to him, I'd love to talk to him about his, his old case. <laughs> um, that uh, the ATF came and they said, hey, Dr. Emerson, we heard you have guns. He goes, yeah, I've got guns. And they go, ah. You have guns and you're under this Texas uh, restraining order, therefore you're guilty of this offense. And his basically his position was that's impossible. How can I be guilty? I've never been convicted of anything. How can this be? How can this be lawful? And uh, the district court originally found that it wasn't, but the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals found it was. So this has been the law now since 2002. And so along comes this other guy, Ramey, and he uh, he really was more of a apparently more of a bad actor in that he got a protect. He actually had a protective order against him from an ex girlfriend, uh, and then he went out and engaged in a lot of really dangerous behavior mm. like he went out engaged in shootings and and other things and so whenever the uh whenever the Arlington police finally arrested him uh they turned him over to the Department of Justice to be prosecuted under this very same law that Emerson was uh was convicted under and in fact uh he knew or his lawyer knew what the law in Emerson was so he pled guilty, but he preserved his right to challenge the statute constitutionally. Okay, and this well, is and this is a Texas case, right? Correct. This right. was a Texas case. All right, hold on. This just... was a Texas a Texas criminal act. All right, Edwin, hold on just one second. We come back from the break and let Edwin finish that talk about this Texas case and how this relates to men, you know, domestic violence and gun rights. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. Peace. This is Maj Touré. You're listening to Come and Talk at Radio with Michael Cargill.
Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right, so we're back and we're talking with Edwin Walker. He's a principal attorney with Texas and U.S. Law Shield. We're talking about this Fifth Circuit ruling that came down this week in which pertains to domestic violence and gun ownership. Uh, so Edwin was talking talking to us about Ramey, uh, the, I guess, the complainant in this case. Um, and so the defendant. Ahead, the defendant. Okay, defendant. Go ahead, Edwin. Yeah, so I just want to I want to make sure because it procedurally it is a little weird and it does point out something that all your listeners should be very very wary of, and that is the cooperation between state prosecutors and federal prosecutors. And so what happened was was that Ramey years ago a few years ago Ramey had uh, some sort of conflict with his uh, ex girlfriend and they shared a child. She went to court and she got a protective order against him. And so this protective order said, Hey, Rainey, uh, don't commit violence against her. Don't go around her. Don't threaten her, et cetera, et cetera. Well, then a couple of years after that, in a completely unrelated series of events, Ramey then engages in some criminal activity with a firearm. I believe he shoots up somebody's car and he shoots at somebody, and there, there's several different instances. Well, the uh, they finally catch him and charge him with the state crimes of whatever it was, aggravated assault, deadly conduct, you know, whatever whatever collage of crimes they decided to charge him with. But in the meantime, uh, they discovered that, right, hey, Ramey, you had you shouldn't have even had – he had a pistol and a rifle when they uh, went and arrested him. And they said, you should have never legally had this pistol and rifle uh, in the first place. 
And so they then turned him over to the U.S. prosecutor, to the U.S. attorney's office, and they said, hey, we got this defendant. We believe he committed all these state crimes. We're prosecuting him for these. Would you be interested in prosecuting him for this federal crime, which is a violation of uh, 18 U.S.C. 922, because he had firearms whenever he was under a protective order? And the U.S. Attorney's Office said, yeah, sure, we'd love to prosecute this guy <laughs> under 922. And this, uh, and this is in Texas. 922. This is in Texas. In Texas. And, this is, this, and this is one thing your listeners should know about, because I I had a case uh, several years ago that was very similar, only it was actually even worse. Mm. So as your uh, listeners may or may not know, in Texas, the prohibition about a felon possessing a firearm does have an exception. And that is if – and this is the state law. This is not federal law. State law says that if you have been convicted of a felony uh, but it has been more than five years since you have suffered any you know, legal punishment for that felony – and you're in possession of the place where you reside, uh, then you cannot be charged with felony possession. Well, I had an old guy. He had been convicted of a felony way back in the 90s, and somehow the police were visiting his home, and they found he had a shotgun in his home. And they go, oh, you're a felon. We're going to arrest you for felony possession. Well, the DA's office, once they finally read the statute, which DAs are notorious for totally ignoring portions of the penal code that actually provide justifications, exceptions, or exonerations for criminal conduct. So whenever I personally had to point this provision of the penal code out to the prosecutor, he was like, huh, well, I'll have to look into that. <laughs> and so meanwhile, whenever he's looking into it before our next setting, uh, he emails the U.S. Attorney's Office and says, hey, we got this guy. Uh, we can't prosecute him under Texas law for felony possession, but would the U.S. Attorney's Office be interested in prosecuting him for felony possession? And fortunately, the U.S. Attorney's Office here in Houston had better things to do, and they turned it down. But that just goes to show you what slimy snake in the grasses uh, prosecutors are, is that they will – if they, they are so hell-bent on prosecuting people – uh, that they will, you know, that even if they know state law can't prosecute them, they'll very willingly turn them over to the feds for prosecution. Wow. So that's what happened to Ramey, is Ramey got turned over to the feds. And in Ramey's case, they did accept him for prosecution. And so that's how he got in the federal system. So mm. that's why he was convicted in a U.S. federal district court. He went, his case got appealed to the Fifth Circuit. And the Fifth Circuit, in uh, they originally ruled against him, but uh, while the case was pending, uh, the the Bruin case came out, and so the court actually said that in light of Bruin, we're going to reexamine this. And when they reexamined it, they then ruled that this particular provision is unconstitutional and it should not. And the thing about it, it was a facial challenge, in which what a facial challenge is. Rainey was saying not only is this. Uh, statute unconstitutional under my circumstances, but it is unconstitutional under all circumstances. Mm. And the court went along with that, and that's highly unusual. The court went along with that, and they said, yes, in fact, this statute has no constitutional basis and cannot be enforced. And so now in Louisiana, Mississippi, and Texas, that particular provision of federal law should not be enforceable which means that it's it's obviously going to be appealed to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court will have the ultimate decision. But a lot of anti-gun politicians have already I've already seen where uh, 
Gavin Newsom, who is uh, presumed to be one of the key uh, frontrunners for the presidential nomination, he has spoken out against it, and he's talked about how terrible it is. And, <laughs> and which, keep in mind, uh, one thing people have to realize is that these laws that are being struck down as unconstitutional are possession laws. So it in no way affects uh, the violent or dangerous use of a firearm, which is prohibited under many state and federal statutes. This is this is just this is just the possession. This is the mere possession uh, that they're criminalizing, and of course that's what the Second Amendment was designed to protect. So hopefully the Supreme Court will not backtrack on Bruin and will ultimately uphold this guy, this uh, declaration that this provision is unconstitutional. And maybe there may be some redemption in the future for poor Dr. Emerson. Mm, okay. And so you're going to ask Edwin a question? Oh, I was just going to ask him something uh, separate. Oh, okay. okay. And so okay. go ahead, Edwin. But, but also I also want to know important is that this case – in conjunction with your case, uh, shows that the Fifth Circuit, that there is no gun law that is going to avoid scrutiny by the Fifth Circuit. Mm. So in your case, it was important because they used, you know, they, they went against, um, you know, an administrative agency. They went against Chevron deference. They, they didn't even really implicate the Second Amendment at all. So they're saying that administrative attacks on the on gun rights, as well as constitutional attacks on uh, gun laws, uh, will both will both get a fair hearing and get equal traction in the Fifth Circuit. And so this case, in conjunction with your case, are two extremely important precedences that the Fifth Circuit has mapped out which way they're going to go. Mm. And so, and you're talking about the Cargill v. Garland case, the bump stock case. And, yes, of course. In this in this current case here, wow. So, yes, with, because they up they both upheld. They were both very important in upholding gun rights on two separate, you know, on two separate levels. Mm. Uh, administratively, we have gun rights. We have gun rights according to your case, and constitutionally, we have gun rights according to this Ramey case. And we don't know when this these cases go to the Supreme Court. We don't know which way the Supreme Court is gonna gonna go. Yeah, but we really hope that we, we, we there, there's a good, good chance that, that the Fifth Circuit will be upheld. So with regard to fifth, uh, gun laws, uh, Fifth Circuit seems to be leading the way, which, of course, is a very good thing. Okay. And then we, we come back from the break, Edwin. I want to ask you about, you know, what if it's a felony, you know, in this, in this type of situation? Uh, is it possible someone can bring a challenge to that? You know, is it is it, you know, is it meant to be the Second Amendment? Was it meant that, you know, once you're – you know, convicted of one of these crimes, I'm, I'm talking convictions here, then is it forever? Is it permanent? Do you lose your gun rights forever? Is that the way our forefathers framed the, the, the Constitution and the Second Amendment? So I want to ask you about that. We come back from the break. We're talking about we're going to bring up the video of the House debate that was carrying firearms in a committee hearing. Going to talk, we're going to show you that video. It got kind of fiery in there. We're going to go to Connecticut, talk about a store. I'm going to go to Oklahoma. We're going to go to California. Uh, we're going to talk about Black History Month and the Miami Police Department. We're going to talk about everything. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. Hi, this is Stephen Wolfer, the Barefoot Defender. I get my global gun news from Michael Cargill at Come and Talk It.
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop. And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. I'll tell you, those, uh, the conversations we have during the break, I'll tell you, are very educational. Because uh-huh. <laughs> Edwin was talking to us about how easy it is to, to do what? To get a protective order placed against a girlfriend, boyfriend, former spouse. And you know what I've always said is you need never, ever date anyone that's going to call the police on you. Yeah. Uh-huh. I've always said that. You know, if you're dating someone, you're you're in a relationship with someone, you're married to someone, and they they have a, a a possibility they may call the police on you. That's not someone you want to be in a relationship with because you if you get hit with domestic violence, yeah, someone that is disgruntled with you can make you lose your gun rights basically forever. Right, so Edwin, so Edwin, how how easy is it to get a restraining order or a protective order? Oh yeah, well let me let me preface this by saying that I have I have done in my history as a lawyer, which has been thirty years, I have done my fair share of family cases. So I'm very familiar with criminal court. I'm very familiar with family court. Those are the two areas that I that I practiced for a long time, and it was my experience in family court that kept me single pretty much most of my life uh, because I saw what bad things, what terrible things happened in family court uh, based upon just based upon just bad luck, based upon you know who you got as a judge or you know what kind of craziness your you know spouse decided to allege against you. And yeah, it's basically based on just the mere allegations, uh, verbal allegations. They don't have to have pictures. You would think, oh, if you're going to take my rights away, you at least should have physical evidence. Nope. They don't got to have pictures. They don't have to have video. They don't have to have witnesses. All they got to do is come in and say, he did this to me. And (laughs) so one of the more egregious examples that I had in my past was that, well, let me start by saying that in order to get a protective order, against somebody in the state of Texas, you have to show that they committed an act of family violence in the past mm. and that there is a high likelihood that they will commit an act of family violence in the future. So there's two things you have to show. Uh, so the in this particular instance, I represented a man who got a protective order against him, and the act of family violence that they used to establish the first element of getting a protective order was the fact that he, uh, after him and his wife had split up, and the divorce was still pending, um, but he was, she was given basically possession of the family residence. While one day, while she was gone, she wasn't even there. While she was gone, he went into the house. He got her wedding dress out of the closet. 
he put it on the floor and he peed all over it. <laughs> and it was that act of peeing on the way, which Come on, man. in at the time. That act of peeing on the wedding dress was the act that got the protective order entered against him. So that was the act of violence, basically. That was the act of violence. I'm, I'm not saying now. I'm not saying I would do that, but I, I understand. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I understand. Rock. <laughs> I don't condone it, but I understand. <laughs> oh man! So, so that so, but that's how easy it is to get. And in Harris County, here in Harris County, uh, there was a judge a couple of years ago. The Texas legislature passed a law that said, "Look, in counties that are above a certain size." that have a high volume of protective orders, uh, that the county can designate a specific district court that all protective order cases will go to, and that will lead to judicial efficiency. Well, yeah, that's great until you elect a zealot as the judge of that court, <laughs> and that's exactly what happened in Harris County, mm. is that they this, this lady got elected, who she got elected judge. Uh, she had spent her entire career um, as a, a, a domestic violence prosecutor, and she came in and she just she was handing out lifetime protective orders as if they were candy. Oh I mean, my that's goodness. how you didn't all you all you had to do was make an allegation, and boom, lifetime protective order. Boom, lifetime protective order. She was so bad. Wow. Okay, she was a Democrat, of course, because Harris County has turned Democrat. Um, she was so bad. Uh, that that uh, and and she was she was unfair. I mean, not only not only was she clearly biased in favor of green particulars, she would make rulings. She got disciplined twice, I mm. believe, by the state commission on judicial conduct. Um, she was so bad that her own party, the Democrats, had to primary somebody against her, mm. and uh, and they won. So they they. So she she was not reelected, but it wasn't because a Republican beat her. It was because people in her own party had become dissatisfied wow. with the way that she was just 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 handing these lifetime protective orders out on a whim. Wow. So Oof. so that's 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 how bad these these. That, don't think that everybody who gets a protective order against them is necessarily a bad person. Right. So that's that's how easy it is. Very easy. Okay. Well, Ed, Edwin, let me ask you this: uh, What about felonies? You know, we're 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 talking about this case, this Ramey case out of the Fifth Circuit with domestic uh, a domestic violence uh, situation. What about being convicted of a felony? Is it you know is it a possibility that we can challenge this? Because you know, a convicted felon, you know, you get convicted of a felony, you lose your gun rights forever. You know, was it meant to be forever, or was it you know? Is that how our, our forefathers actually intended this to be to to work out this way? Right, and this is, and then keep in mind that uh, you know, and this this is that will be the next fight because uh, Ramey didn't have anything to do with that. Ramey Ramey assumed that he had not been, you know, was not convicted of anything, or you know, it wasn't it wasn't brought under that portion of of uh, nine twenty two subsection G eight. Uh, so it was, um, so that'll be the next thing that's addressed. Mm -hmm. And that is a little different. And the court did go out of its way to kind of point that out to say, look, in the, in the past, you know, you've only been able to strip away people's rights, their fundamental rights. And they included the right to vote and the right to travel and things like that. 
You've only been able to, to strip away people's rights based upon a criminal conviction because, like I said, with a criminal conviction, you do have protections. You have you know, the right against search and seizures under the fourth. You have the right to due process and to not self-incriminate yourself under the fifth. You have your right to uh, counsel under the sixth. You have your right to be free of cruel and unusual punishments under the eighth. So you have criminal, you have you have uh, you know fundamental civil rights that go along with a criminal process that you do not have in civil court. And Ramey pointed that out. The Ramey case pointed that out that that people losing their fundamental rights based upon the civil process is a lot different than people losing their fundamental rights under the criminal process. Mm. And so and so I can't say with any degree of certainty that. That the you know the people who are convicted of felon felonies or the people who are convicted convicted of misdemeanor crimes of domestic violence, you know, have a really great shot of regaining their rights under the Second Amendment. However, what I will say, and this is more of a statutorial statutorial kind of argument, it'll be interesting if the courts pick up on it, because one of the things that the Rainey opinion did also is they said that. You know we're, that the law has always been designed to disarm or, or try to mitigate uh, the firearms possessions by dangerous individuals, mm-hmm. and so clearly there are a whole range of felonies where somebody loses their gun rights for the, the rest of their life that that were not involved in crimes of dangerousness. Mm-hmm. So is a you know is an embezzler or a forger. Uh, you know, or uh, you know, or a thief, or a drug possessor. Uh, those are not inherently dangerous crimes, but yet they still suffer the same consequence as if they had been convicted of of dangerous crimes. You know, aggravated sexual assault, aggravated robbery, murder. They they're lumped into the same category. So, is it fair? Under the Second Amendment, that a forger suffer a lifetime firearm ban, uh, just like a you know just like a, a murderer does, mm. and so I think that'll be the next area that the courts examine. All right, and Edwin, let's talk about this brace ban. So January thirty first, the ATF put in the registry uh, the brace ban, and so now you know we've called off a number of states that if you happen to be in you know those states like New York. Where you're not, you, you can't have an SBR, uh, and now your your AR pistol is now considered an SBR. You have to destroy it, turn it in, whatever you know, because you you can't have it in, in in quite a few states that are out there. Uh, some other states, yes. you know, Texas or whatever, you, you know, you're lucky. So, but you know, what what's your take on all this? Correct, and I, and I would hesitate in using the word destroy because unlike <laughs> the bump stock, so unlike the bump stock. Uh, you know, they came right out and they said a bump stock equals machine gun. So, yes, if you're found in possession of a bump stock, then you were in possession of machine gun. And so there, you know, the, the dictate pretty much was that you have to destroy it. You can't be in possession of it. So a bump stock is However, the equivalent of an auto seer, basically. Correct. And so – but this is different because they're saying only that, uh, you know, that arm brace plus pistol – is a short-barreled rifle. And so you can have an arm brace and you can have a pistol, but if you do not merge those two together, neither one of those are illegal in and of themselves. Yeah, you can put an arm brace on a rifle, right? Yeah, you could. That'd be weird, but um, yeah, sure. (laughs) Uh, Or you could just keep it in the box and you're like, this is my useless polymer and Velcro 
trinket that I have. But <laughs> can they come at you and say, oh, it's not this useless trinket. It's actually constructive possession or something like that? Only if they only if they are readily accessible to each other. And that's going to be the key. That'll be a that's going to be a major fact issue. So I would say that if you have your arm brace in its box and it's in a closet and you have your short and you have your uh, AR pistol in the safe, that they are not together. However, if you put the arm brace in the case with the AR, even though they're not attached, or you put them both in your, you know, gear bag to take to the range or whatever, that they're going to be able to make an argument that they were re- that it was readily assemblable. Uh, thus, it, const- it did in fact constitute short barrel rifle. So as long as you keep them separate. I would say that you're, you know, that you're a okay. So if they're in a separate room, then you're okay. I think so. I How much would that. you be willing to bet on this? Like, <laughs> well, somebody would. If somebody would pay me a retainer after they got arrested, then I, I would definitely <laughs> be able to willing to take that case and argue it. <laughs> so, but if you're asking me for my opinion, my educated opinion, and when you know lawyers always hem and haul, and they go, "Well, do you want to be a test case?" Yeah, and so you exactly. Always throw that out. Do you want to be a test case? Most people would say no. However, I would say that in my you know educated opinion, as a factual matter, and keep in mind, it's going to be left up to a jury to decide that uh, whether or not they were in close enough proximity that they would have constituted something that was readily assemblable. Okay. We come back from the break. Got a couple more things for you, Edwin. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. Folks, this is Doug Man Jones. <laughs> and I get my gun news from Michael Cargill at Come and Talk It. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right, so we're back and we're talking with Edwin Edwin Walker. He's a principal attorney with Texas U.S. Law Shield. And Edwin, question for you, sir. Yes. Uh, what about non-citizen immigrants? Do they have the right to own guns? Yeah, non-citizen immigrants are actually in a very unusual position in which there are two types of non-citizen immigrants. So first of all, you have to be in the country legally. Um, so that's number one. So illegal illegal uh, aliens are do not have gun rights at all. Uh, people who are here legally, which means they're here under some sort of visa or some sort of uh, you know some sort of other diplomatic status, uh, they may have the right to have guns. Uh, but if they're here as what we call permanent resident aliens, which means that they have achieved the status of getting their green card, then they have all the exact same Second Amendment rights that citizens have. So that's the bright line. If you are a permanent resident alien who has a green card, you you, you have just the same Second Amendment rights that citizens have. Um, If you are a visiting immigrant, if you're under a visiting visa, you may have uh, gun rights. And, of course, the big exception under that rule uh, that a lot of people take advantage of is if you are here, you know, ostensibly for sport shooting events and you have a hunting license issued by the state that you are visiting, then you do, in fact, have the right to go 
possess, purchase and possess firearms. Now, what about so a lot of people? A lot of people under visiting visas go take advantage of that hunting license exception. Okay, what about DACA? Well, DACA that if they if they are using it as a pretext to get their green card, then yeah, they they have Second Amendment rights. If they have been classified as a you know sort of a permanent resident alien or they're in the permanent resident alien pipeline, then they have rights. Okay. All right. Yeah, because I get that question a lot too. Um, and then you know, in Edwin, here's another thing. I had a had a student in class recently um, who we actually covered a news story about this person on the show also, where uh, he went downtown Austin and was a little. Had a couple little drinks there, and he was carrying a firearm. Had a handgun on him. Uh, his handgun license had expired. Uh, it wasn't active. It expired like two years prior. And so he uh, made an attempt to go into one of the bars on 6th Street. Now, this bar wasn't really a bar because they changed their liquor license to a restaurant back in 2020. So they're uh -huh. actually a restaurant. They had the, the blue, you know, at the... Gun sign blue, which has been repealed. And so he made an attempt to go in. The bouncer said, no, you can't come in. So they, you know, whistle for the police to come over. This guy started walking away. Please come up. And he was intoxicated. He had a handgun. So they charged him with unlawfully carrying a weapon. And so he, you know, had to take a, a firearm safety course as part of the pretrial diversion or whatever to try to get that case dismissed, dropped or whatever. And so uh -huh. I was explaining to him, you know, that, you know, you know, with the the way the laws are here in Texas, if you get charged with a crime and you don't have a license, then even though that gun had nothing to do with what you're doing, they can charge you with unlawful carrying a weapon. On top of that, they're charging with a crime. That's one thing. And then also, you know, as of September the first of 2021, if you're intoxicated and you have a handgun. You could be charged with unlawfully carrying a weapon for being intoxicated. Yes. Um, yeah. Since his license was expired, he could. That's right. correct. Right. And so, yeah. So it, that's one, of, one of the kind of interesting little little um, um, one of the, the one of the interesting little consequences of the change in the law is that intoxicated, unlicensed people can be charged, but intoxicated, licensed people uh, cannot. Right. Because as of September 1st of 2021, if you have a Texas – well, if you have a license to carry a handgun or a concealed handgun or a handgun license, you could be at least .08. Right. Well, that's still – yeah, I mean they haven't officially made that. People can still um, – I mean they can, still can argue. It's, it's always been my position forever and ever and ever. That the that whenever the statute reads intoxication, that it means intoxication under 4901, which is the DWI statute, which is .08. Uh, but as you know, the DPS has always argued against that and said, no, 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 that just means that you have drank too much, and I, I am not aware of any case that has ever held that. Right. So for practical purposes, yes, if you – and I have to say in my own personal experience, in cases where – uh, somebody does take a test and it comes back lower than the legal limit um, that they've been charged with both DWI and <clears throat> unlawful carry, that both cases get dismissed. So the prosecution does not generally say, all right, well, 
the test shows he wasn't intoxicated for driving, but he was still intoxicated for carrying. I've never had a DA take that position right. towards me or in my cases. And now I've been looking at uh, quite a few bills in the Texas legislature uh, this session, and all the bills that I'm seeing right now are mostly 99% of them are anti-gun bills. So it's going to be a, oh, yeah. a no, lot of fighting. Yes, it's going to be a flood. That That's the thing is that for the last three sessions, we've been fighting to expand gun rights. This particular session is going to be overwhelmingly in fighting to keep our the gun rights that we've established over the last three, four sessions. Right. And we, and, and, and we are working on some things. I, I'm working with uh, quite, a, quite a, a few of our elected officials trying to get some things done this session. Can't tell you about them now. Uh, but we are working behind the scenes to try to get some things done, and hopefully it pans out. Don't know. It's always hard to get something that's new past the you know the first time. It usually takes about three sessions to pass pass uh-huh. something. So I, oh. I don't know if we'll get it done this session, but we are working on some very strong uh, legislation, you know, for Texas. Yes, and I want to just throw this out there. Um, you know, this is not specifically a gun bill, uh, but it is a crime bill that I uh, support 100%, and it was written by a very liberal Democrat from the Austin area, and that is the legislation. I wish I had the number off the top of my head, but I can't remember what the number is, Uh, but she has put forth a bill to forbid police from using the ghost cars for traffic enforcement. Mm. That's this session. Yes, and I think I support that, and I think we all need to support that because none of our rights are safe if the government is allowed to to surreptitiously surveil the general public as they do with the ghost cars. Mm. Mm. Okay. We have a right against government surveillance. And ghost car is an unmarked ghost, police car. Yeah, the the police car with the reflective uh, decals on it instead of colored decals. But you can't even see them, though, right? Well, you can see them when your headlights hit them, but that's too late. You've already passed it. Oh. So, yes, the ghost cars, um, they don't provide deterrence. They're solely for revenue generation. Um, They have become increasingly more popular with police departments around the state. And she's put to offer – she's offered a bill – you know, that doesn't mean, you know, police can still do undercover work and police can still do surveillance of suspects and things, but they can't use ghost cars for traffic enforcement. All right. And then real quick, Edwin, there's a question out there uh, as far as long guns, uh, firearms and like constitutional carry. You know, what has changed? You know, what changed in 2021 with constitutional carry as respect to long guns or rifles? Um, nothing. It's still we we've always had the we've always had the same. Uh, the only thing that may have changed, and I have to look specifically, is that forty six oh three five was eliminated. It dealt with handguns. So forty six oh three now contains a bunch of provisions that were previously forty six oh three five, and forty six oh three does regulate long guns. So all your long gun regulations are going to be found in forty six oh three. But your general right to carry one and to carry one unconcealed. Uh, has has not changed. Okay. What about being what, the same as a? Can I be intoxicated with a rifle? Uh, I do not think so. Okay. Um, as a as a no no wait no no you can't no because forty six oh two still contains the intoxication part and it only governs handguns. Okay. So that's that's a yes I can. Yes, you can be intoxicated. Okay. All right. Just want to make sure. 
All right. We advise not going off your own property. Right. <laughs> right. I, I I get those weird questions, you know, in, in the gun store. Just get as drunk as you want. As, just get as drunk as Tudor Brown on your own property. Right. But if you get off your own property, then you're subjecting yourself to a bunch of other unintended consequences like – Somebody's going to charge you with pointing the long gun at them. Somebody's right. going to charge you with carrying it in a dangerous fashion as an act of disorderly conduct. Ooh. So you want to stay. If you are planning on being intoxicated and you are planning on carrying a long gun, avoid public places. Yes. Dilly dilly. Dilly dilly. Got it. <laughs> and then, man, we come back. We're going to talk about this Oklahoma stuff. This gun store in Oklahoma decided to dump some destroy some firearms by just sitting them in the dumpster <laughs> that's amazing to me uh and then we we got a couple of the stories that we're going to go around and talk about man thank you edwin walker i appreciate you coming on and taking this time on a sunday to be with us and, and break you, this stuff down with us even though i'm sitting in the woods with birds calling all around me that <laughs> sounds good drinking tea <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> All right, Mike. It's always a pleasure. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. Have a wonderful rest of your Thanks weekend. A lot. All right. All right. We come back. We're going to talk about that Oklahoma stuff. We're going to we're going to pull up this video. This House debate carrying firearms in committee hearing. I want to pull up that video. When we come back from the break and. Listen to this. It's about four minutes long, and it's a very good debate. I do want to listen to all of it. I want you guys to see this and listen to this. And then we're going to go around, talk about Connecticut, go to California, going to talk about the Supreme Court, Brett Kavanaugh and Clarence Thomas, what's going on between those two. And we're going to talk about veterans suing and the administration. And then the Miami Police Department. We're going to go down to Miami because, you know, like every you know, every day, every Sunday, we got to go to Florida. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. This is Brittany Glaze, and I get my global gun news from Michael Cargill on Come and Talk It. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. Yeah, like we were talking during the break there, we're talking about the power outage. A lot of people are without power uh, in Austin, Texas. Even the, even the station, this station lost power and had to be on backup power. Like what, a backup generator? Three days, three days, backup generator. And so that just came on, what, yesterday? Just got the power back yesterday, and everything just came up. You know, today, we didn't think we were going to do a live show at all, actually. And so luckily, got that power back, and everything came up. It's it's a lot of people getting their power back today, but there's still how many people? 35,000. 35,000 people are still without power in Austin. This is day five, day six day six and still man that's a lot of people day six no power man day six not taking a shower because it's too cold too cold to jump in the water uh we're we're barely we're just getting ready to go to someone's house to you know to use their shower and then luckily that morning our power came back on so yeah we we were we you know we got together and huddled up in the living room there next to the fireplace with the doggies and, you know, had a nice little, we just camped out for. That's hot. That's right. Three nights. <laughs> three nights. All right. So I do want to talk about the, we'll talk about Congress. So there's debates going on. Man, they're, they're, the gun ban fires up lawmakers on House committee. The Dems, Democrats demand show of hands of who's not packing. So lawmakers on the House National Resource Committee got into a contentious debate Wednesday over an attempt by Democrats to reinstate a rule banning guns 
from the committee room. Listen to this debate. It's about four minutes long. This is very well trained with weapons. There's some people here that are not very well trained with weapons, but like to use it as a prop. My fear, especially because we're dealing with a very crowded area, is that some people may bring a weapon and have a discharge. That would be tragic. Uh, now, I think there's ways for you to defend yourself, protect yourself, at the same time have some sane weapons handling restrictions that you would have in any other public setting. And yes, a lot of states do have different rules uh, about bringing weapons, but even then onto the floor or onto into offices, but even then some of them have very simple restrictions. State of Arizona, you're supposed to tell the state police that's guarding the, the, um, uh, the Capitol that you have a weapon, right? So if we're gonna do this, like, why not actually be sane about this and actually have some very basic weapons handling restrictions that anybody that owns weapons, I know Mr. Westerman, you own weapons, you understand what I'm talking about, the responsibility of someone who owns weapons and what you're supposed to do to make sure you keep yourself safe as well as keep everyone else around you. How many members feel like they would need to carry a weapon into our committee hearings? Got one. So here's my concern, right? Um, there are some people in this committee who are very well trained with weapons, talking about the responsibility of someone who owns weapons and what you're supposed to do to make sure you keep yourself safe as well as keep everyone else around you. How many members feel like they would need to carry a weapon into our committee hearings? So here's my concern, right? Um, there are some people in this committee. Problem with the video there. Very well trained. We'll try to come back to that because this is a good video because I uh, got a, a lot of comments from uh, different representatives there. And I definitely want you guys to hear that, uh, that going back and forth, that little banter there. Um, so Representative Jared Huffman, Democrat from California, proposed an amendment that would explicitly prohibit members from carrying firearms within the hearing rooms. Now, they already can't carry on the House floor, uh, but they want to ban them from carrying them in hearing rooms and also conference rooms. And so they're basically going back and forth and saying, hey, you know, uh, January the 6th, when everything happened at the Capitol, um, some of the members, you know, were upset because they were in the house on the house floor and they couldn't have their firearm with them. They had to depend on capital security. But there were some members that were illegally carrying on the house floor and they were able to assist capital police with uh protecting the rest of the members because they actually, you know, illegally carried their firearms. And so they're saying, "Hey, you know, we we shouldn't be prohibited from doing this." Uh, and so, and I agree, I think we should get rid of all prohibited places. I mean, what do you think about that? Yeah. We, I mean, a gun-free zone is basically a soft target, right? Yeah. So what about carrying in schools? Well, uh, I believe you I'm came talking up with the idea of... Elementary uh, school, middle school, high school. Yeah. The idea of having an advanced LTC a new license that is above the normal LTC, which... Polling location. Yeah. Yeah? Everywhere. Everywhere. Mm -hmm. Here at a mall. Okay. All right. Because what is a gun-free zone, right? It's a place where people who follow the law will not bring their gun, right? Mm -hmm. It's where the good people that won't break the law, they'll put their gun out in the car and not bring it into these locations. But the people who want to do harm, are they going to see that sign? And say, oh, 
I can't bring my gun in here. Oh, I'm going <laughs> to shoot this place up. Right. But I right. better not because there's a sign. <laughs> I know. Right? Nice, nice. <laughs> All right, let's 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 go back to this video. Um, I think we can still get it in before the next break here. Take a listen to this. Members feel like they would need to carry a weapon into our committee hearings. Got I one. feel I need one everywhere here. There everywhere. Is, oftentimes we are sure. harassed in the hallways. We the, walk the, alone. The gentleman and, hasn't yielded. And just uh, how, and would those be loaded weapons, presumably? Not an unloaded weapon. Okay, that's helpful to know too. Uh, and of course, we heard reference to the fact that uh, you know this amendment is not necessary because the rule prevents taking armed weapons around the Capitol and into the House chamber. But we know there are members across the aisle who have tried to take loaded weapons into the House chamber. On January 6th, I was following House rules. There's three places where members of Congress cannot carry a firearm. One of them is the House floors. And I was abiding by those rules. And when I heard those doors shaking, I didn't know what was on the other side. And it was the first time in many, many years that I have been unprotected. That I was disarmed, not unarmed, disarmed, because I was not allowed to possess my firearm. Capitol Police officers didn't have enough help. Thank God there were members who had their firearms anyway in the House chambers and were helping Capitol Police. And Capitol Police were grateful for their assistance because they were outnumbered significantly. Does the chair believe that members of Congress should, bring, should be able to bring firearms into the Natural Resources Committee or not? Chair believes that members of the Natural Resources Committee should follow the House rules and the guidance by yes, the Capitol and Police. Yes, the House rules. Um, members have different interpretations of what those rules are. I need to know for a sense of my own personal safety what your interpretation of the House rules are as it pertains to this issue. I believe that would be a question you should take up with the House Administration Committee, and they do have a member's day uh, as all committees do. I just wonder if the gentleman from California or the gentlelady from New York has reason to believe that there is a homicidal maniac amongst us. Uh, if they do, uh, they probably would have brought a gun into this room whether or not there is a law. And I would challenge them right now to present their evidence, name the names and present the evidence before such a catastrophe confronts us. Will the gentleman you, yield? Yes. yes. Thank you. Um, you know, I believe it's a, a mischaracterization. by the way, you didn't give me, but go ahead. It's, uh, it's a mischaracterization. Um, I, while I am not here to impugn the character of any individual member of this committee, I do believe that uh, the performance oh, demonstrated has because shown a... Who, who, who do you not trust to bring a firearm uh, in, into a committee room or anywhere else? In, in, I believe in that from what I've witnessed, um, the competence of some members may be something that I would be willing well, to question. I think you should give Thank us you. names before the sun goes down because we're all in great danger if you're correct. But if you're going to name names, I'd like you to present the evidence as well. And if not, uh, then uh, we should draw our own conclusion. <laughs> <laughs> if not, then just shut up. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go, because we're all in danger. If there's someone in this room Call right now. <laughs> Call me a radical. Oh, man. Oh, man. Okay. All right, so Crab Metro Observer. Um, Yes, we do have campus carry. Uh, it's important that we understand the terminology of the Texas Penal Code. If I say school, I'm talking preschool, elementary school, middle school, and high school because that is the definition of school in the Texas Penal Code. If I say educational institution, that is the definition of a college or university. 
So I didn't mention educational institutions. I said schools. It's important you understand when I say something, one thing about me, Michael, I know what I'm talking about. And don't question me. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. Hey, this is AWR Hawkins, Breitbart News, and you're listening to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right, we're talking about during the break, talking about, you know, can 18-year-olds get a license to carry a handgun in Texas and carry a handgun? Um, yeah, you can be in the military. You can be ROTC. Uh, you, can, you can be in the National Guard, Reserves, Associated Military there. And, yeah, you, at 18, 19, or 20, you can get a license to carry a handgun and carry a handgun. But even though you can actually get the license, be in the military at 18, 19, or 20, and carry a gun, you can't buy it from a gun store or a federal firearms licensed dealer. You have to get in a private sale or receive it as a gift? That's right. So you, do you know you can be a private security officer? You can be a level three armed security officer at 18 years of age. Uh, you can't buy the gun, but you can carry the gun as a level three security officer. What about level four? Level, uh, you be level four? Oh, man, now that I don't know. Age you got, yeah, you got that? me there. I, can, I can't think right now. Uh, but definitely level three. You can be a level three security officer, boom, carry a gun, but you can't buy the gun. You have to get as a private sale as a gift. Mm. Yeah. All right. So, man, let's talk about uh, Connecticut. Connecticut. So, Connecticut armed robbers shoot store owner who pulls out a firearm and kills a suspect. So, this happened in a Connecticut clothing store. Owner fatally shot a suspect robber doing a shootout last week, but was wounded in the exchange of gunfire. A brief struggle took place between the store clerk and one of the suspects who pulled out a firearm. The East Hartford Police Department reported that uh, the police identified the store employee as a clerk, not necessarily the owner. So eh, we can't figure out if this guy was a clerk or the owner. Not sure right now. Two men wearing a black ski mask entered the clothing store uh, and just after 10.30 p.m. on a Thursday with intention of robbing the store. And the police said, you know, uh, release this information in a press release there. So this is actually happening right now a lot around the country where you have these young people uh, that are, you know, just committing robbery and aggravated robbery uh, in, you know, on, at gas stations, uh, you know, fast food joints because they're trying to get quick cash. And it, it's tough. You know, it's tough on the you know, business owner, especially if it's a small business. You know, what do you do? Um, well, you can get you – know, uh, and people have told me, you know, you should buzz people into the gun store. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to buzz people in. You know, we just, you know, we bump up our security a little bit, aware of our surroundings, you know, carry, get a, a silent alarm, you know, several little buttons around the, the business there. Where we can actually push a little button and the alarm goes off silently, notifying law enforcement. There's a holdup. Um, and then, you know, you, you can use a code word, have a certain type of procedure, you know, how are you going to handle uh, someone coming in wanting to, you know, wanted to steal something or, or committing robbery, I should say. If they're asking for money, either register, uh, you should do, make sure you do a drop, you know, quite often. Uh, don't, don't maintain a large amount of cash in the register. So do your money drop, drop it in a safe, maybe a time control safe, maybe, you know, take it to the bank and deposit it. You know, don't keep that large, uh, that much inside the register so they're not really getting much, should get Man, $200, $300 max, 
out of the register because anything over that, you should drop it. Should be in a in a safe or something like that. So little, there are little steps that you can take uh, to do that. Every time something happens, I, I learn from every little, you know, every situation. Whether it's someone who decides to try to break into the store in the middle of the night or whatever, we learn and we change from that. And every every few years, I you know increase and change our even the security that I do. I upgrade stuff and and add new countermeasures in there. So you have to you know always stay you know one step ahead of the criminal because they're they're you know these guys are cycling in and out of jail and they're learning from their mistakes and they're you know going back say okay next time we're gonna do this instead and so you have to tighten up your security and what you're doing uh, and a little better so yeah we I, so I, I like to learn from, you know from all that stuff I mean, and this jugging thing you've heard about that right Zach jugging oh yeah there's something like a million and a half dollars that have been jugged from people in the last year right and, and only in, in in Austin that's where the uh the People who rob you follow you home from a bank, basically. Right. And so, yeah, that's and that's been happening for years. I've been talking to business owners for years and, and showing them different ways to, you know, to combat that a little bit. All right. So let's let's change gears a little bit. Let's talk about this ban on marijuana users owning guns and is unconstitutional, according to one of our judges in federal court. So a federal law prohibiting marijuana users from possessing firearms is unconstitutional. A federal judge in Oklahoma has concluded, citing last year's U.S. Supreme Court ruling that significantly expanded gun rights. Uh, U.S. District Judge Patrick Wark, uh, an appointee of former Republican uh, President Donald Trump in Oklahoma City, on Friday dismissed an indictment against a man charged in August with violating that ban, saying it infringed his right to bear arms on the U.S. Constitutional uh, Constitution's Second Amendment. Now, Warwick, the judge said that while the government can protect the public from dangerous people possessing guns, it could not argue Jared Harrison's the mere status as a user of marijuana justifies stripping him of his fundamental right to possess a firearm. He said using marijuana was not in and of itself a violent, forcible, uh, forceful or threatening act and noted that Oklahoma is one of the number of states where the drug, still illegal under federal law, can be legally bought for medical uses. And so we'll see how this plays out. They're going to appeal this case to the, to the circuit uh, in, for Oklahoma, or what's going to happen with that? And then, man, California, let's go over that real quick. So this guy sitting, you know, imagine you're sitting down, you're at a basketball game, uh, and this is a school basketball game and a high school we're talking about high school girls and all of a sudden a fight breaks out a little shoving pushing you know fight breaks out they go to you know start breaking up the fight the shoving and the pushing there and then a parent runs from the stand a man and starts wailing on the high schoolers the girls and to the point where things get out of control then he's outside he pulls a gun out man insane you know it's sporting events. And unfortunately, you know, Zach, and that's why you're not allowed to have guns in sporting events. That's why they, they you know, they take it too hot. They take examples like this and they say, ah, oh, this is why you guys can't, you know, have weapons at all at a high school sporting event or a college sporting event, you know, because of things like that. People get too heated, can't control themselves. I mean, it gets pretty heated. <laughs> all right. So we got to not do things like that so we can, you know, maintain our gun rights so that we can still have nice things yeah like to have you know like to be able to play so because some people get upset at a sporting event then that means nobody can have a gun right <laughs> they shouldn't 
you know, we, we shouldn't all have to be punished. All right, so the U.S. Fifth Circuit appeals a decision on Thursday allowing alleged domestic abuser to keep their guns is perhaps the most radical Second Amendment decision in the history of the federal judiciary, uh, according to some people's interpretation. <laughs> it is not, however, a surprise Justice Clarence Thomas' opinion in last year's Bruin case invited lower courts to strike down in any gun restriction that our ancestors would never have accepted. Now, this standard is if um, definitely uh, given the hopeless, um, ambiguous, and historical record, but even where the record is clear, Thomas Justice Thomas' test leads to heinous results given that the ancestors in question were often violently racist and misogynist white men, according to this particular person here, as the Fifth Circuit uh, tactfully acknowledged. Our ancestors would never have accepted disarming domestic abusers before because they did not believe domestic violence was a crime. Now, it's going to be very interesting how I think these some of these cases move forward. We can't assume that the Supreme Court is going to rule the way we think they're going to rule uh, in a lot of these cases, like the brace ban or the um, the even the Cargill Varland, uh, Cargill Garland case, the the bump stock case. Can't assume which way they're going to rule on any of this stuff, uh, but you know I'm hoping that judging by how they're going with Bruin and some of the other cases, you know they're signaling that. You know, there is a shift and there's a change in the Supreme Court. And because now it has shifted a little bit. And you know why we've had that shift, Zach? Why? Because we lost um, uh, RGB. You know who that is? Yeah. Who's that? That's, uh, <laughs> that's Greta. What's her name? No. <laughs> I know. No. Uh, I know. Justice uh, Ruth uh, Bader Ginsburg, <laughs> we 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 lost uh, lost her, and it kind of was her fault because um you know when you're you're appointed by a particular party, then you should make sure you resign you know under that particular party while that particular party is in leadership. But she decided to stay in and die instead. And then yes, and when that happens, man, you know you should have stepped down, resigned, you know retired or whatever, let someone else be appointed under that particular. Uh, party and if you don't then the opposite party gets to you know pick your replacement and then everything that you did is for not because now she really messed up mm -hmm. really messed Shouldn't up have done that huh yeah should have known better well she should have so that there could be a pro 2a justice appointed instead right but now so sad too bad it is what it is and now the tables have turned and so the court has shifted a little bit, and things are a little different. Now, in Oklahoma, man, this gun store in Oklahoma decides to, you know, I guess they're supposed to dispose of some 250 guns. And what they ended up doing was, it, it's, it's, it's called the, Miss, I'm sorry, the Midwest City Gun Store uh, has been accused of improperly disposing of 236 shotguns in a dumpster. Um, they're saying shotguns, but when I look in this dumpster, I'm seeing more than just shotguns in the dumpster. You seen that picture? No. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely seeing more. Oh than... yeah, that's uh, all kinds of. Guns. <laughs> yeah, I'm not seeing. I don't. I, matter of fact, I don't see any shotguns. <laughs> I look at the picture. Uh, I'm just putting it out there. All right. So also, a man that was allegedly allowed to keep two of the weapons as keepsakes, and federal authorities want to know why. The mystery emerged January 19th when a sanitation worker discovered the weapons and alerted authorities. 
What are snitches get stitches? Come <laughs> on, oh, man. Uh, Insider.com reported late Friday, citing that court filings in a news report, but it started months before in International Firearms Corps, 5701 East Reno, Reno Avenue uh, in Oklahoma City there. So I guess for some, I don't know, I, and I can't figure out why they were dumping them in the dumpster trying to destroy them in the first place. You know, uh, there's a certain procedure you have to take in destroying firearms, and you just can't dump them in the dumpster. But if you do, give me a call, and I'll go pick them up. As always, more guns equals less crime. You go out there and you buy yourself a gun. You've been listening to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill. Yo, what's going on, guys? It's Jack Jones here, and I get my gun news from Michael Cargill on Come and Talk It. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or... I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend, or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates – Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop, And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot take. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.